Hi folks, Stuart Lee here. Welcome to the Lee household in lockdown. Uh, this is my kitchen slash office uh, where I spend a lot of my time just now. Sometimes I sit here, other days uh, just to spice things up I'll sit over there or over here. Um, so exciting. Um, but yeah, um, I'm hope, I hope you're enjoying the service. It is Palm Sunday for you. For me it's Palm Friday night. Um, and yeah, we're just going to look a little bit, uh, a little bit of scripture just now and unpack Palm Sunday a little bit. But first of all, I want to uh, share with you a story from about 12 years ago. I used to work in South Sudan um, and I worked in a place called Yabus, which was uh, way in the middle of nowhere in, in South Sudan. Um, and we were working with uh, returning refugees and helping them to uh, repatriate into South Sudan um, and it was a very difficult place there was a lot of hardship the people that were living there were going through tremendous suffering and difficulty um, and I remember there was this one point uh, when the runway where the planes would come in and out rarely um, was waterlogged and the the roads coming in and out were impassable and we're really cut off and really isolated at that time. And there was one morning where I woke up, we were all staying in these tents or, or mud huts, and there was myself and there was a team of engineers or project managers, some missionaries and teachers. There was one morning where I woke up and there was a bit of a commotion going on. <coughs> and I looked over and I saw that some of my colleagues were, my teammates were kind of chatting and, and uh, there, was, there was something going on. So I went over and I saw that in amongst my teammates there was this little baby and one of them was holding this little baby. And during the night as it transpires, um, a mother had uh, come to the conclusion that her only hope for this child was to, uh, was to leave her baby, this child, uh, with us. Uh, and this child was in really bad shape, malnourished, uh, arms and legs like twigs, really really in bad shape and as a team we were uh, we didn't know what to do how on earth can we can we help we're not a medical clinic we're not a nutrition clinic um, and we can't get in and out of this area what are we going to do and we spent the next couple of days really struggling to to find a way of helping this child and even at one point we we're thinking of trying to get an airplane to pass over our head and throw some medicine wrapped up uh, out of the window for us to use. Um, it was a really desperate situation. And, and one evening, like maybe two or three days in, uh, I was called over to the meeting room and I stood with, uh, with my colleagues as, as they were trying to comfort this child who sadly did pass away. It was a tragedy. It was an awful experience. Uh, for, for the team uh, and for myself, uh, you know, I hadn't experienced anything like this, not even close. Um, at the time, I was maybe like 23 years old. Um, and, and it was horrific. And I remember uh, the, 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 the main thing that I thought at the time, and reflecting back what I think about often, is that we live in a world that's so advanced and can do so much, and so, you know, technology is so advanced, and healthcare is so advanced um, and there's so much consumption and there's so much over consumption 
and yet still we have situations in this day and age where children can't get enough nourishment and enough enough uh, food into their system to keep them alive for more than a few months. Uh, a terrible tragedy. Something is badly wrong with our world. That's, that's what was going through my head and it still does. There's something not right with this scenario. But I remember having conversations that were really, really uh, honest, really transparent with some of my teammates at the time around this question. Where was God? Where was Jesus? Why didn't Jesus do something? We're all Christians, we're praying. Why didn't Jesus do something? Why did this tragedy happen? And why does it keep on happening to people? And in one of these conversations that I was having, uh, asking that question, where was God? Why, why did this happen? Um, like, a, like a bolt of lightning, I got this, this, uh, this voice in my heart or this voice in my mind and I felt like God was really speaking to me and, and putting this, uh, this truth into my mind and my heart, saying that he did do something about it, that he did do something about it. And it revolves around Easter and we're reproaching Easter. And finding out and really dwelling on what God has done about all the brokenness, all the death, all the, the misery that there is in the world and what God has done to take action on that. And we're going to look just now at Palm Sunday, the run up to Easter, as we prepare ourselves as a church for this great festival next week. Let's look at Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is, uh, if you've not heard of it, it's a, a tradition for the church to celebrate and remember the time that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on his way to the cross and to his resurrection. Um, and it was a time when uh, there was great jubilation around Jesus entering into, into Jerusalem. So we're going to look at that just now and I'll unpack it a little bit. By the way, I've got my props for Palm Sunday props. Um, Matthew 21, 6 to 11. If you've got your Bibles or phones, have a wee look. Matthew 21, 6 to 11 says this. And, and just to set context, Jesus had just sent his disciples to go and get a donkey for him to sit on. Sounds a bit strange, but it will make sense. And it says this, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus went into Jerusalem and he's met by this crowd. And this crowd um, were there, they were celebrating, they were so excited. And one of the things I'm thinking about when I, when I read this passage is, why, why did they gather? Why then? What was, what was going on? What drew this crowd? And um, people don't gather for no reason. Why, why do you go and join a crowd? 
we're in self-isolation, we're in uh, social distancing, and I'm sure, like, you know, like me, you guys will be thinking, I can't wait to be part of a crowd again, right? And it's really exciting to see when uh, people are going up to their windows or going to their doors and clapping for the NHS and being part of a crowd, part of a crowd on a mission. There's something to, to gather for. I'm thinking about, you know, when we gather at Hamden or at Murrayfield to get behind our country, there's a reason, there's a purpose, and there's an excitement in the air when you gather in a crowd for a, for a reason. This crowd had good reason to gather for Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. It says that they threw their coats on the ground before Jesus. It says that they, they cut branches of, of palms and put it on the road in front of Jesus. This was what was done for royalty. This was what was done for a king arriving in his city. All of the, all of the, um, the words that are used here are uh, um, similar to that of, of a king, a royal person coming in. This was a royal reception. But more than that, what the people shouted at Jesus when he was coming into Jerusalem shows that they recognised Jesus, not just as king, but as Messiah. As Messiah. They said this, it says in verse, what was it, verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Son of David is another way of saying Messiah. In the line of David, there is going to come the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's a direct reference to Psalm 118. These, this crowd got together and they shouted um, at Jesus the words from a Psalm 118, which was a psalm about the coming Messiah. So they were being very clear that they saw, they saw Jesus as king, they put the palm trees down, and they saw him as Messiah. They were shouting uh, the words of Psalm 118. But they were also shouting this word, Hosanna. And we sing about, you know, Hosanna in, in our worship songs. I don't know if you know what it means. Uh, it means God save us. It means save us, help us, help us. This crowd were seeing Jesus come into their city and they were treating him as king, they were calling him Messiah and they were saying, save us. Now what is, what is Messiah? Messiah, um, the people of Israel are, were waiting for someone who would come and rescue them, who would come and save them, a coming Messiah, a coming king. They were waiting hundreds of years um, and this time was quite significant. Uh, when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. He was entering Jerusalem at Passover. And Passover was a festival uh, where people of Israel were remembering um, and celebrating the fact that they had been set free from Egyptian oppression in the past when Moses uh, led them out of, of Egypt. Um, Passover was remembering that, remembering how God rescued them, how God saved them from being oppressed by the Egyptians. And here was Jesus, who they're recognising as the Messiah, coming along at Passover, at a time when the people of Israel 
were oppressed, not by Egypt anymore, but this time by Rome. They were under Roman rule. The Romans, although they hadn't enslaved them, they, were, they had no freedom. They were under Roman rule. They were heavily taxed. And they had, there was brutal, uh, brutal punishment. There was, it was a brutal regime. And the people wanted freedom. And so this was the context that they were having these Passover festivities. And I think this is why they were so excited to see Jesus coming at Passover into the city. Could this be another exodus? Could this be another freedom from oppression? Could Jesus be the one that's going to set them free? One of the things that's interesting about um, the fact that Jesus is coming on a donkey, uh, which seems a bit random for us. I used to have a donkey and I rode it sometimes. Interesting fact, ask me about it another time. Um, in Zechariah 9, verse 9 to 10, it says this. Um, and this is one of the, the uh, main um, Messiah prophecies from the Old Testament. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. These people were in Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. And then it goes on and it says, I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, the bow of war will be removed and he will proclaim peace. He, the Messiah, will proclaim peace to all the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Knowing their scriptures as they would have, knowing their prophecies as they would have, this crowd saw Jesus coming on a donkey and they knew this was the Messiah. They would, have, they would have linked that to the Messiah. And specifically to these verses that says that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to set you free from things like war. He's going to bring peace and his, his peace is going to extend uh, far, far, far across the land. So this is why people were excited. This is why they were throwing down their coats and throwing down their, their palms and uh, palm branches. This is why they were crying out, Hosanna, save us. And son of David, Messiah, Messiah, save us. Messiah, save us. And as, as we hope, we, uh, we look uh, through the Bible every year. Uh, we do Bible read-through. And um, right now we're going through part of the Bible where we've had like first and second chronicles, first and second kings, judges. And you might have noticed that there's a bit of a, a pattern that goes on in through these books where God's people need saved. God sends salvation through somebody, whether it's a good king that comes along and, and he rescues them, whether it's a a prophet like Elijah or a judge like Gideon, God sends help and they're okay for a while and then they need help again and God sends help and they're okay for a while and then they need help again. 
And there's this pattern in the Old Testament that we see where um, people cry out to God in their acute momentary uh, suffering. Uh, and God shows mercy and he sends people to help. And it, but it's a cycle. There's a cycle of, of things, don't, things aren't permanent. They go back to being bad again as people mess up, as people, whatever reason. Or maybe the, the person that God sends dies. David dies. Um, you know, Elijah flies away. Uh, Gideon goes bad. He dies as well. Um, and people end up needing saved again. But what, what's different about Jesus is that with Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem on that day, um, he wasn't coming to end the Roman oppression of Israel. God was up to something much, much bigger. The Messiah, people were wanting the Messiah to come and end the Roman rule. God was wanting to do something much bigger. And Jesus had a mission that was much, much bigger. God was going to break that cycle where his people need saved and, he's, and they're, they're saved temporarily, then they need saved again. God was going to break that cycle and provide an eternal salvation through Jesus. And that's what Easter is all about. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Ethiopia um, and I met families there, met communities there in a far, re- it's called a far, it's a, a region of Ethiopia that's devastated by climate change and there's, there's drought there. Um, and I met families that are really struggling. And they, I met a woman who told me that her, uh, that almost every night she puts her kids to bed and they ask for water and they're crying for water, and she has to say to them, I'm sorry, you have to wait. You have to wait till maybe the next day um, because there isn't any water. I can't give my, ch-. she's saying, I can't give my children water when, when they're going to bed, when they're asking for, for water. And I was out there, and I worked for Tear Fund, that's why I was in Ethiopia, and I, I travel to these places, and I hear, hear these stories, and we're trying to do as much as we can to help. Um, but as I was there, I was spending time with God in the morning and I was reading my Bible and I felt like God was leading me to to the story of when Jesus met a Samaritan woman by a well. And when Jesus meets this woman, um, she's bringing water up from the well and and he gets talking about water and he he says to her, a paraphrase, I can give you water that when you drink it, you will never go thirsty again. And she, she said, give me this water. And Je- but Jesus goes on and he says to her, this water is living water. I can give you living water. And when you drink it, you'll never go thirsty again. And in fact, a, a well of water, a fountain of water will spring up in you to eternal life. And Jesus not only can meet our, our temporary acute sufferings and needs but he's there for he's here for a much bigger purpose, eternal life. This deep, fulfilling, satisfying uh, water, living water, is what is what Jesus provides. I believe that God sees our suffering. I believe that God sees the suffering of the the family in Sudan. That, um, that had no options left for that child uh, that, that died. 
I believe that God sees the sufferings of the people in Ethiopia that are running low on water. I believe that God sees the sufferings of us here in the UK through this crisis, the coronavirus crisis, um, and throughout the world right now as we're crying out and saying, God, where are you? Help us. But I believe that God has done something about it. The Bible says this about Jesus in Isaiah 25 verse 8. It says, he will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death forever. And in Revelations 1, 18, um, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. When I think about Easter that's coming up next week, I th- and, and, I, and I, I think about the world and just knowing how much, um, how broken the world is and how much in need of a saviour the world is, I know that God has looked at the world and he said, at some point he said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And in John 3.16, we have the verses that say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The crowd on that day, on that Palm Sunday as we call it now, were looking for a king to come and deal with this, this situation with the Romans. Right now, quickly, we need it. God sent Jesus to do so much more, to provide everlasting life, to deal with the brokenness of this world and the suffering and to swallow up death itself, to hold the keys to death and Hades and to win this victory. And we're going to talk about that more, I'm sure, next week. Um, and, And we're going to celebrate that next week. But I want to focus in on this crowd again uh, that were that were putting the palm branches in front of Jesus. They were used to God sending kings, saviors with a small s, who would come and do a good work in, in, in bringing salvation temporarily. And then they would die. And things would go bad again. Jesus came to do more And Jesus came as king, and he stayed as king. Jesus is the king that stayed, because he rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate that next week. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He's a king who is still, a good king, who is still in residence. And if you are doing Bible Read Through, and I encourage you guys to join Bible Read Through groups, you'll, you'll, you'll be in a, a season where you're reading through king after king after king, and it's bad king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. Um, but Jesus is a good king, the best king, permanently, permanently for his people. He is the saviour, the Messiah, that is here to stay And I wonder what we're going through right now and everything, all this chaos with, with this crisis and coronavirus. Um, we're, 
as, as followers of Jesus, we're not in a situation where we need to wait uh, for God to send a king, for God to send a Messiah. The Messiah has come. The king is here. And for me, there's a, there's a couple of things that come to mind here. Number one, our church has a cairn, okay? That's a Scottish word for a pile of rocks. Our church has a cairn outside, um, outside the side door. And this cairn represents, each stone that's on, that's on that pile represents the fact that our God answers prayers, that Jesus, our King, is alive and hears us. Every time God answers our prayers, every time Jesus brings breakthrough in our lives, we put a stone down, don't we, to remember that. And so we can look back and say, look, Jesus is King and he is at work and he is hearing us. When he is, he is at work healing us, um, we've seen testimony after testimony in our church of people being healed. We've seen uh, people with anxiety going down and peace going up. We've seen uh, relationships mended miraculously. We've seen God at work in so many ways, um, bringing breakthrough, bringing freedom. That's what it looks like um, when the future reality that Jesus has got for us with eternal life, some of that kingdom power spills into the here and now as we follow Jesus and as we pray and enter into that relationship with him. Some of this glory that Jesus has won for us at Easter spills into the here and now and we have breakthrough and we have uh, a king that is at work in our lives, uh, being our saviour in our homes, uh, in our relationships, in our church, in every way. Jesus is there. He's the king in residence. He's not going away. He's not going anywhere. But lastly, and I want to finish with this point, is that Jesus has also allowed us um, to live in a way where even if we are under Roman oppression or Egyptian oppression or whatever we're going through, this lockdown or whatever, whatever, even if that is happening, Jesus allows us to live in a way where, like Paul says, we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. We're looking for a vaccine, aren't we? And, and that's, I've been reading that a little bit in the news about how we're, uh, we're looking for a vaccine that's going to help us with coronavirus. And I'm not a scientist, but what I gather, what I gather about that is the vaccine's not going to like make coronavirus disappear. But what it is going to do, hopefully, God willing, is give us a resilience uh, to this virus that um, takes away its sting. And as Gordon mentioned last week, death has lost its sting because of Jesus. When I'm out traveling and visiting people that are, that are in, in real crisis, um, one thing that I notice about people that are following Jesus quite often despite the huge amount of tragedy and suffering that they've been through, you can see in their faces, their, their faces glow with, with the radiance of the glory of God. They're often full of joy. They're often full of praise for God, so in love with God, uh, it's welling up in them. And, and some of these people, I won't go into it, but just the most horrendous experiences imaginable that they've been through. 
but for some reason uh, they are able to just have this peace that surpasses, surpasses all understanding. And I believe that that is, again, uh, a product of what Jesus, the Messiah, has done. Bringing hope and bringing peace into our lives despite the chaos that is awful at times. But he's also answering prayers. He's also bringing breakthrough. And ultimately, he has swallowed up death. And he's brought for us, bought for us on the cross and through the resurrection an eternal life with him uh, and, and wonderful things to come. And we're going to celebrate that next week. But I've got one challenge for us as a church. Um, as I close up here, it's to pray. We, uh, we are gearing up for Easter uh, and we've got, we've got a 24-7 prayer room. So I would love to encourage you to get involved in 24-7 prayer, to check out Facebook, check out whatever, however you sign up, uh, get signed up. And, and just the reason that's a challenge is I just feel like, how cool would it be, church, if this Easter was remembered as one of the best? You know, and I've already heard in conversations here and there just about how ah, Easter's come at the worst possible time, you know, we can't celebrate properly. But what if this became one of the best Easter's? Because despite everything that's going on, we can celebrate, celebrate and say, Hosanna, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you're the King, save us. Jesus, you are our King that's with us now. We believe that you're here. And what if we were to recognise and glorify God despite all that's going on? Wouldn't that be wonderful? So I think, I think it'd be good for us as a church if we prayed, if we sign up to pray, but as we, uh, but also just to to really commit to making Easter a really special, a special one uh, to remember and look back on it. I'm going to pray now and finish up. Thank you so much for listening, Father God. Um, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your Son Jesus to be our king, that would deal with death and give us hope and give us eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for Easter. Thank you that we no longer have to wait for somebody to be sent to help us, that we have Jesus. He is with us. He is alive. And he is Lord God and King. Jesus, uh, help us to celebrate you this Easter. Help us to uh, glorify you and honour you. And, and may this Easter be uh, one, one of the best that we can look back and say, and say it wasn't a special time where we celebrated that Easter under lockdown. In Jesus' name I pray.